Let us remind ourselves this morning that this is God's word. God has spoken through men and has preserved his word for us to understand and to hear and to listen to by the power of his Holy Spirit. Psalm 1 commences, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in the heaven laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will give, make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron, you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, your kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or you will be angry and your way will lead to your, dis your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in the moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, good morning. My name is Dan. I'm one of the members here at Emmanuel Epsom. And I'd like to extend Martin's welcome, especially if this is your first or first couple of times. Uh, we all hope it won't be your last. So uh, you're very much welcome. <laughs> <coughs> if you see me hobbling up here, don't be alarmed. I trod on a plug earlier this morning and my <laughs> foot is pretty sore. But... Uh, I'll power through. <laughs> in 2010, the government launched a programme uh, to measure the nation's general well-being. The idea, I've got it quoted here, was to measure our progress as a country, not just by how our economy is growing, but by how our lives are improving, not just by our, sta by our standard of living, but by our quality of life. It was discussed on BBC's Question Time and the panellists were asked this question. What is the essential ingredient of general well-being? Or to put it another way, what one thing makes us happy? I wonder what comes to mind. The, the first guy said, uh, the, what makes me happy is breathing. Um, that answer's a little bit too hippie for my taste, so I didn't really listen much further to what he had to say. The next person said, things that are free, like the countryside. And you might think, um, don't live 
for the countryside, but people certainly spend thousands of pounds travelling around the world to see natural wonders. And I myself am going on a motorbike trip round the Alps in a month or so, and the mountains and the scenery is a big draw for that location. The next person said, a good, solid relationship with someone else. Now, that's starting to sound a bit more realistic. And finally, the last person said, seeing my children growing up and flourishing is the most fabulous thing in the world. The answer to this question is of interest to all of us, as I presume everyone here wants to be happy. Our passage this morning, Psalm 1, helps us find the answer to that very question. Psalm 1 and 2 are linked by this phrase, blessed is the man who, at the beginning of Psalm 1, and blessed are all who, at the end of Psalm 2. These two psalms are our introduction into the rest of the psalms, giving us some key principles before we carry on and go into the next 148 psalms. The word blessed literally means happy. This word blessed at the start and end of Psalm 1 and 2. But of course we don't mean happy in a trivial way. We're talking about a concrete, meaningful, deep contentment that lasts. Happiness where the novelty doesn't wear off. A profound, consistent joy that no circumstance or emotion can take away. That's what we're talking about this morning when we say, or when I say happy or blessed. That's what I'm talking about. And this is how God opens the very psalm. In fact, the very book of Psalms. The first word. Blessed is the man who does this. The opening information we're being given is how to get this happiness. How to find it. Um, God, is, God is really for us. He is for blessing us. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to have this deep and meaningful joy that we all end up looking for anyway. It's right at the beginning. It's the Psalms' first port of call. God is all for blessing us. So with that in mind, I'd like to make my first point, which is this, the route to blessing. The route to blessing. What does it say we are to do to get this happiness that we all seek? It starts with some don'ts and then it has some do's. But verse 2 says this, Delight in the law of the Lord and meditate uh, on it day and night. To delight in the law of the Lord is to delight in God himself. Why read the Bible if not to find out more about him and what he's like? The more you watch Roger Federer playing tennis, the more you love watching him play. The more you know of God, the more you find out, the more you can appreciate what he has done, the more you can see how marvellous he really is. You'll love him in all the more and you'll delight in him all the more. So there it is. To have this joy that we're after, delight in the Lord and meditate on his words. Straightforward and simple. Yet somehow it ends up being really difficult we can read the Bible, study it, and quickly forget what we've read, and you can come away cold. Uh, we might have our favourite verse or our favourite passage or our favourite story, but 
what about the rest of the Bible? Perhaps we move through it page by page and never really get the connection in your soul when we read it. I don't know if you find this, but you can get very easily distracted. The mind is very quick to wander elsewhere. This doesn't make me happy, I'll just flick on the TV instead. Reading it can become a chore, only a intellectual discipline rather than an overflow of our delight in God and our want to find out more about him. Maybe we don't feel much at all. It's going to be really difficult to persevere with reading if that's how we feel. It's going to be hard to find motivation. Well, I'd like to pick up on this word meditation. After all, it doesn't say read it day and night. It says meditate on it day and night. In the day of the psalm, meditation had the meaning of repeatedly murmuring out loud, not to be confused with modern-day meditation, which is about sitting cross-legged and doing yoga and clearing your mind of all thoughts. It's, in fact, the total opposite to that. It means filling up your mind with his words, phrase by phrase, verse by verse, thinking often about what you've read, dwelling on it all the time. I've been meditating on Psalm 1 for about two months now. It's only six verses long, and I can't ever see myself saying, I've got everything I can out of it. Let me read some of George Muller's experience on this idea of meditation. For those of you that don't know, George Muller was a guy from the 1800s who set up loads of orphanages and looked after probably 10,000 children. He was the type of guy that would have 300 kids set out for breakfast with no money and no food and wouldn't be worried. He'd just he'd pray expecting an answer and then some guy would turn up with some bread rolls and that's the kind of guy he was. And this is what he says. I began to meditate on the Bible early in the morning. The first thing I did was to meditate on the word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get every blessing out of it. Not for the sake of public ministry, not for the sake of preaching, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I found is this. After very few minutes, my soul is led into confession or to thanksgiving. Though I didn't give myself to prayer, but to meditation, it turned almost immediately, more or less, into prayer. After a while praying, I go on to the next words of the verse and was again led to prayer but still continually keeping before me that food for my own soul was the object of my meditation. As a result, my inner man is nourished and strengthened by breakfast time. Now listen to this. I am in a peaceful, if not happy, state of heart. I gave myself to meditation for the profit of my own inner man. I gave myself to meditation for the profit of my own inner man. I think most people generally view a lot of Christian disciplines as restrictive 
as a way to take away from our happiness or to take away the fun. And I have to come clean that I often think this way myself. When trying to be obedient when it comes to Bible reading, to name just one example, I'll say to myself, I don't really want to do it, but at least it's the right thing to do. This psalm, however, says this, that the pursuit in this discipline of meditation isn't just right, but is in fact the way and the path to get this happiness and this blessing. Linger over it, fill your minds with it, ponder the truth day and night. This is the actual path to blessing. That is how you get it. So that is the first path we've got there. The alternate, though, is to disregard God's words and ultimately to scoff at them. Do you see how the pattern gets worse? It starts with walking in the way of the wicked, this is verse 1, then standing in the council of the sinners, then sitting in the seat of scoffers. starts with walking, this inner desire to rebel and to go your own way, to do your own thing, whatever that might be. Maybe you say, I couldn't get on board with this part of Christianity. I think every Christian here can identify with this desire to rebel and to go your own way. Then, so start with walking, then you make a stand with sinners. Your behaviour, your morality, your lifestyle are influenced by the world. A quick litmus test for you on how much influence the world has on you just look at what you think is acceptable on TV and what you spend your money on and what you spend your time on. There's plenty of other measures. Start with walk, then uh, start with uh, stand, then you walk, and then finally you sit. You settle where you are. Sitting indicates where you belong. You may scoff that God's not there and Plenty of my friends say, even if he is, that they don't care. To put it another way, is there a sin that you have settled in? Is there a sin that you don't fight anymore? So the choice presented to us in verse 1 and 2 is that there are only two paths. And it begs the question of what path are you on? Where are you sitting? In the words of the Lord, or somewhere else. Or think of it this way, are you profoundly happy? This joy and this blessing that we've talked about, have you got it? Have you got it? Verse 1 and 2 offers us blessing and tells us what route to take to get it. Verse 3 and 4 then goes on and tells us, relative to the choice that we make, what happens now. So my second point is this, what blessing looks like today. Verses 3 and 4 further compare these two paths. The psalm describes a blessed man like a tree, a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Then the wicked are described as chaff that the wind blows away. Now I've actually looked up on YouTube to see what chaff is. Um, 
and how it gets separated from crops. Basically, you, they come together, you pick them up in your hand like this, and you just start to drop, drop it into the bucket you put down there, and all the crops fall into the bucket, and the chaff literally just blows away and disappears into thin air. It would be like getting a handful of flour, walking out there and just throwing it in the air. It vanishes. So to compare a tree and chaff, they really are stark opposites. So I'd like to explore their characteristics a little more. The tree planted by water can endure. No matter what, its leaf doesn't wither. Did you see that? See how it says it yields fruit in season, as in there will be good and bad seasons, good and bad times in your life, yet throughout that, your leaf doesn't wither, as in your joy, your blessing, your deep happiness doesn't fade. Staying with that metaphor, why doesn't the leaf wither? When conditions are hot, when conditions are dry, when conditions are harsh, the leaf doesn't wither. Why is that? Well, in seasons such as that, the tree draws on and relies on its roots even more. It draws even deeper on them. It has no choice, in fact, but to rely on its roots. Haven't you often heard Christians talk about joy in the midst of suffering? This is why. This is why, because they are like a tree planted by water, nourished by God's words, relying on him for blessing, rather than external circumstances. Joni Erickson, who was paralysed at a young age from diving into a swimming pool, says this, my weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of God every single morning when I get up. Christians who are suffering here this morning, I hope you find encouragement in this. Blessing from the Lord cannot be exhausted. Rely on him, the stream, and your leaf will never wither. Despite how you are suffering at the moment, despite the sadness you are feeling right now. And then in sad comparison, we have the chaff. The outcome of the other choice, the wind just blows away. To put it another way, when the inevitable hard times come, we're crushed. The psalm is pretty direct. Rely not on God's words and we'll be like chaff that the wind blows away. If you'll admit to watching X Factor and Britain's Got Talent, as I occasionally do, you would have seen on numerous occasions people getting absolutely crushed when their dreams fall apart. It can be pretty sad to watch, actually. Some, some guy who's uh, not had their lucky break after 25 years singing in the pubs gets through the first round, only to be sent home later, told, sorry, mate, you're not quite good enough. Um, it's a hard pill to swallow, and they are inevitably crushed. Happens all the time. The basis of their happiness has let them down. Rely on anything other than God. Seek happiness anywhere other than God, says Psalm 1. And ultimately, you'll be crushed, unable to stand like this tree would. 
The psalm offers us blessing and deep joy and profound happiness in God and his words. It explains how they are sufficient for whatever comes our way in life. This joy and this blessing trumps any circumstance. It's permanent and it's available today. So verse 1 and 2 tells us the route to blessing. Verse 3 and 4 describe what blessing looks like today. And thirdly, verse 5 and 6 gives us what blessing looks like tomorrow. We are given two outcomes for tomorrow. I've worried a little about coming across harsh on this one. But the psalm really doesn't mince its words on this point. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It warns us, doesn't it, that of the two paths laid out for us in verses 1 and 2, they have real and contrasting consequences for the future. When we die and are judged before God, where will we be? In the assembly of the righteous or destroyed? When I was in JF, and Nigel was my leader at that time, but there was another guy called Trev Pierce who used to tell us uh, parables told by Jesus only ever have two characters in them. He'd say, you're not able to sit on the fence, you have to be one of them. And he'd ask us, which of the two characters are you? The psalm does the very same. And this is the scary reality that I find myself in, is that I am not righteous. I am not in that assembly of the righteous. The rebellion in my own heart and my desire to do my own thing is too strong for me to overcome. Romans, and Romans tells us in no uncertain terms, all are sinners, all fall short. So how then can we get off this path that leads to destruction? If Psalm 1 reveals to us that we are on the wrong path when you really think about it, Thankfully, Psalm 2 points us to Christ. Remember at the start how I was saying the Lord is for us, that he's for blessing us? He's so intent on blessing us that he came down to earth himself. Jesus lived the righteous life that we are unable to. And yet, although he is worthy of the assembly of the righteous, instead he took my place and our place and he took the punishment for all our wrongdoing. Jesus Christ submitted to crucifixion on the cross and the wrath of God was poured onto him. The wrath that has accrued for me and for you was placed on Jesus. Christ Jesus took the punishment. Christ Jesus bore the cost of our rebellion, of our walking, standing and sitting. On the cross, he paid our penalty. He paid our debt. Psalm 2 tells us how to respond to this in the last verse. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. We should run to Christ Jesus with thankfulness and in repentance. 
we must respond to this indescribable, extravagant, loving act of the cross. We must respond in repentance. The greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever seen occurred on the cross almost 2,000 years ago. Take refuge in Christ, in his gift of salvation, a gift that is free for us, but extremely costly for him. Take refuge in his act of rescue, and you will have the greatest blessing imaginable now and for all of eternity. I'd like everyone here to spend some time meditating on that before the day is over. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that in spite of our sin and in spite of our inability to uh, save ourselves, Lord, you, so intent on blessing us, came and paid the cost. Thank you, Lord, that this gift is free for all who will just see it and repent, Lord. And please would you help us not to get so easily distracted by the pulls and the great things that are in this world, but realise, Lord, that only reliance on you can ultimately make us happy. Please, Lord, would you be with us now. Amen.